We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. Hello, good morning. How are you all doing? Um, so, so good to be together. Let me add my welcome along to Phil's to you. My name's Chris and I, I just have such a privilege of serving in uh, this church by leading our leadership team. And I'm just so glad that you've come along this morning on this rainy day. It's so good to be together and to uh, carry on our series in Inspired. Uh, today, we, we basically throughout the series, we've been looking at different characters across the Bible and different people each week have been speaking on the different characters. And this week, we're going to look at um, Joseph and... Um, in a few minutes' time, I will uh, talk through his story, um, but it's always good also to have the Bible open in front of you so you can follow along. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn to Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, so it'd be easy to find. And we're going to start off in chapter 50, which is the very last uh, few words in the book of Genesis. So you can start to turn to that. It might be, though, that you just don't have a Bible with you or on your phone. And if that's the case and you can borrow one of these snazzy centrepoint Bibles, just stick your hand in the air and one will arrive to you in your seat. Keep it up until it arrives and it will come to you, I assure you. Um, and it might just be that your hand's in the air because you don't own a Bible. And if that's the case, then you can keep this one. You can have it as a free gift from us. Um, obviously, you know, don't add it to a stack of 20 other Bibles. But if you don't have one, or if the one you have is all like these and thous and that kind of stuff, you can't really understand it, keep this one. I promise you it will bless you. Um, so it's yours. So the main passage we're going to focus on then is Chapter 50, verse 15, and uh, let me read you a few verses from chapter 50. So starting from verse 15, it will also appear on the screen. And what I'll do is I'll explain the passage later on, but we're going to start just by reading it. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father has left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I'm, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good, for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Father God, I just pray as we unpack your word this morning that you would help us to have our hearts open to all that you might speak to us and inspire us through. So I just ask, Lord God, would you yeah, speak to individuals all across this room today, I pray. Amen. Um, when I was younger... I have to admit that our family were not a really cultured bunch. Here's a few pics of us as kids. And um, it was around Christmas time, I was about 12, my youngest brother was eight, when our parents took us for our first ever meal at a restaurant. It was, you know, where you go and there's cutlery and everything, not like McDonald's, it was a proper <laughs> restaurant. And um, we were, this is um, some of us a little bit older, we were probably looked more like this. 
We, we didn't quite dress up that smart. It wasn't that kind of restaurant, but it was a nice restaurant. And um, yeah, we kind of, we'd never been to one before. And there was these strange things in the middle of the table, which I understand are condiments. And um, we were there and we had a lovely meal. We um, had all the different courses that you would have. And when it came to having dessert, we all decided to go for ice cream. And um, of course, ice cream is the best dessert in the world. And whilst we were having our ice cream, we noticed these two things in the middle of the table, which we assumed must be white sugar and brown sugar. And so I managed to convince my brothers and I to sweeten up our ice cream by pouring this white and brown sugar all over our ice cream. And so we did that and took a bite and it just came out of our noses, out of our mouths. We were crying, tears everywhere. And it was just a complete mess. Safe to say, we didn't go back to restaurants very often. And um, it was one of those moments where I guess mum and dad just must have been so embarrassed and they seemed to forgive us, but I did always wonder, did they really secretly hold it against us? You see, this morning, I want to look at Joseph's life and see how he kept God at the centre of everything, of his whole life throughout. The last 12 chapters of Genesis are all about Joseph's life. And what we're going to do is we're going to breeze through that in a moment. But what I find really is interesting is that right at the very end... When the brothers have messed, after the brothers have already messed up, they've sold him into slavery, which we're going to find out about. We get this moment that where although Joseph has already forgiven them and lavished them with lots of food and land and everything they could possibly need, they still ask this question, what if Joseph still holds a grudge against us? What if he hasn't really forgiven us? What if the only reason why he forgave us was really because of his love for the father and now that the father's dead, we now need to make up this story? They, they couldn't really believe that Joseph's love for them was genuine all the way. And do you know what? We can all do that too sometimes. We can bring up in our minds past sins or past ways in which we've perhaps hurt others or, or um, done things and we can wonder, do they still hold a grudge against me? We can even do this with God. Does God still hold me accountable for that thing? Is the reason why I'm not flourishing in this area of life or that area of life because God's withholding himself from me in some way? Sometimes we can, we can do that in all these different ways. And I guess my question to you this morning is, what sin have you committed that you feel, either recently or in the past, is too big for God to forgive? There's something in your life where you feel like, because I did that, Somehow God is withholding himself in some way from me. I'm not flourishing in some way because of that thing. We'll come back to that question at the end. 4,000 years ago, there was this family, and the father of the family was called Jacob, and Jacob had a son called Joseph. In fact, he had 12 sons. Uh, Joseph was one of 12, and um, these 12 sons came from four different women that Jacob was involved in. It was a blended family. You know, in fact, there's lots of blended families throughout the whole Bible. You see them all the way through. And I know we have blended families here with us today. It's great to read about this blended family of, of Jacob's. And um, God used them mightily uh, throughout Genesis, where we're going to find out. And there's this son called Joseph. And Joseph was the uh, 11th of the 12 sons. He had a younger son called Benjamin. And both of those two came from one woman called Rachel. And the other brothers came from, the other 10 came from the three other women. And Joseph was this man that kept God at the centre regardless. And 
right at the start in Genesis chapter 37, we find out that he was just hated. He was hated by his brothers. The reason why he was hated by his brothers, I believe, is because his mum and dad absolutely loved him. He could do no wrong in their sight. There's this moment in chapter 37 where um, Joseph goes out, he's out in the field with his brothers and he comes back and basically snitches on his brothers and like, gives a bad report about them. And uh, so his brothers don't like him for that. Um, his mum and dad give him a wonderful ornate robe, aka a technicolour dream coat. And they, they don't like him because kind of mum and dad are in his pocket and he can do no wrong in their sight. Um, and not least of all, because uh, Joseph has these dreams, and he has these dreams of um, these 11 sheaves bound down to him that represent his brothers bound down to him. And then this, the star and the moon, uh, sorry, the sun and the moon, and these 11 stars bound down to him, which represent his mum and dad and his 11 brothers bound down to him. And he's a bit of a cocky young 17-year-old, and he shares this dream. Uh, I guess he doesn't share it in the best way, because what happens then is in the rest of chapter 37, it tells us how his brothers, they... Um, they go off and they sell him into slavery. This convoy is heading down to Egypt and um, they're, they're, take, they're picking up slaves along the way to sell in Egypt and they sell his brother and they take his robe off of him, they tear it a bit, they dip it in blood and they bring it back to the father and they say he must have been mauled to death and his dad believes it. And so you've got this um, moment where, uh, yeah, he, he's been sold off and then Genesis 39 picks up the story um, where he is now down in Egypt. He's in Egypt. He's been sold to a master called Potiphar. And in verse 2 of chapter 39, it says that the Lord was with Joseph, though, and he prospered. And very quickly, Joseph, he works his way up as a slave and soon becomes in charge of the whole of Potiphar's household. But someone takes his fancy. And her name is Potiphar's wife. We don't actually know. We just know it's his wife. I just want you to pause for a moment because Joseph, he had been given this dream by God. He shared it and that got him sold into slavery. His dad thought he was dead. His brothers wanted him dead. All he did was follow God's calls and now he was a slave, cast out, rejected from his family, separated from them in a land that's foreign all by himself. If this guy deserves a break, well, then it's a hot woman hitting on him. And for most people, I think they're really, yeah, this is the least I deserve. But that's not Joseph, because he's honourable. He refuses. And he, he, even though the, the 39 tells us that, he, that she was pestering him day after day after day, he's not a man that was just strong in the Lord for a moment. No, continually he trusted in God and refused to uh, not follow him in, even in this moment. His first love is God, and he consistently trusts him for his future long-term joy and happiness, not himself. And so if you know the story, the next scene, we find that Joseph gets trapped. He gets set up by Potiphar's wife, who uh, pretends that he tried to rape her. In Genesis 39, verse 19, it says, When his master heard the story that his wife had told him, this is how your slave treated me, the Potiphar's anger burned. And Joseph's master, he took him and put him in prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was still with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who, who were in prison with him. And he was made responsible for those things. So in Genesis 40, Joseph, he's there, he's in prison. 
And while there, he interprets dreams for a cupbearer and a chief baker. These are people that serve the king. Both come true, and three days later, the cupbearer is restored to his position and goes back in service of the king, and the baker gets killed and dies. And they're both the things that uh, Joseph predicted were going to happen. The chief cupbearer says, I'm going to remember you, but ends up forgetting him. And again, we can read a small sentence like that and think, oh, yeah, he's just forgotten, and the story carries on. But this forgetting him was actually a two-year period. Joseph had shared the dreams, had honoured him, and um, he asked him, oh, don't, you know, remember me in front of Pharaoh when you're talking to Pharaoh. He's forgotten about, and yet even though he's forgotten about, he continues to love God, to share his faith in the prison, to keep a good heart, and that is hard to do. Yet Joseph managed to. And I wonder, have you ever, have you ever been forgotten about? Have you ever been let down? maybe abandoned, betrayed? Is there people in your life that just don't visit you anymore? They used to. Oh, we used to be really good friends, but they've just forgotten about you in some way. Well, I want to encourage you that in those kind of wilderness moments, God can build a consistency in you um, that can last a lifetime. And so I want to encourage you to trust him and keep him front and centre because he, God is a foundation that does not shake or move. He's a consistency that we can rely on and trust in. And that's what Joseph did. Even when others forgot him and what about his life, he carried, oh, I'm still going to trust you, God. So chapter 41 carries on. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh now has a dream. And the rest of chapter 41 is about the cupbearer remembering this guy, Joseph, who interprets dreams. And he gets Joseph, they get Joseph out of prison and Joseph goes and interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And it's all about seven years where there's going to be um, lots and lots of food. The crops are going to be abundant and plentiful. And then there's going to be followed by another seven years where there's going to be a, a real famine in the land. And, and Joseph says to uh, the Pharaoh, hey, what would be a good idea is if you have if you keep 20% of all the crops in the seven good years and then keep them so that when the bad years come you'll have food and Pharaoh likes this answer and so he puts Joseph in charge he, he basically becomes prime minister of the whole of Egypt second in command only to the king and um, during the, the seven years of famine all it wasn't just that Egypt was affected but all the nations around Egypt are affected and people came and sold their cattle and sold their land in order to gain food from Egypt. And so Egypt's power and might and wealth just increased and increased and increased. And um, because it included all the nations around, this included Joseph's brothers and his family. And so we get this moment where his brothers and his family come back and um, they come to uh, Joseph, though they don't recognise him because this is like now 13, 14 years on. And Joseph is now 30 years old rather than 17 years old. And they don't recognise him. And at this moment, Joseph... Oh, sorry, I forgot to put the next slide. Uh, he was forgotten and then he's, he was relied upon. The brothers, they came to get food. Um, and all the brothers that came to get food were Joseph's half-brothers. They didn't include his younger brother, Benjamin. Benjamin's back at home. And when they come, uh, Joseph sends them off again. So they don't know it's him, and he sends them off. And they, he says, no, you need to go and get your, your youngest brother again. He sort of inquires about them, and they make sure they all come back. When he comes back, Joseph, he decides he's going to make up a plan to trap Benjamin and um, to see if the brother's heart for, their, for his younger brother has changed. When Joseph was sold into slavery, the other brothers didn't really seem to care. They wanted it. Now Joseph wanted to test them to say, oh, I wonder if they are going to lose Benjamin, my younger brother, 
Um, will they care? And so he sets up a trap for them where he hides a, a cup, one of the king's cups in Benjamin's bags. He sends them off and then he sends the guard to go and find them. And they find the cup in Benjamin's bag and, and Joseph um, has them and he says, right, all the rest of you can go, but I'm, Benjamin's going to become a slave now. And at this moment, we can see that the brother's heart completely changed because they break down and they weep and they cry and they can't bear to lose another one of Rachel's sons. They've already lost this one, Joseph, which they tell him about. And now they're about to lose another one. The response from the brothers is, is very different. And so at the beginning of chapter 45, it says this, that then Joseph, he could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. It's really me. I'm your, I'm, is my father still alive? He's wondering, is his father alive? Because his father's not there. But his brothers, they weren't able to answer him. They were terrified in his presence, you can imagine. And then in verse 4 it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph, he forgives them. And he tells them here not to worry. Don't be distressed. And although... What they did was bad. He's saying, no, I, I know that God has used it for good. And what's amazing is that you can tell that Joseph stayed close to God. Because you don't find a bitter man, angry and harbouring up all this anger for his brothers over these years. What you find is someone who has already forgiven them long before any kind of an apology came. He's already forgiven them. He's already dealt with it in his heart. He knows who he is. He is secure in who he is before God and his identity in God as someone who, who he knows he's done wrong, but he knows he's been forgiven by God. And because he's been forgiven by God, he is able to then forgive. And so um, he isn't bitter. He's forgiven them. The family is restored. We find, if you turn over the next page at the beginning of Exodus, this family that um, he then restores, he gives them land and food. There's about 70 in all at the end of Genesis. And over the next few hundred years, this family of 70 grow into about 2 million people. And they become so vast that the, the then next the several pharaohs down the line then want to kind of suppress them and you get into slavery and stuff like that. But... This family, you can see it prospered and growed, and it was all from the grace that Joseph showed to his brothers at that moment. And then you get back to chapter 50, which is where we started at the beginning. And it says this, that when Joseph saw that their father was dead, we get to this moment a few chapters later where the father has died, and they now are wondering, was that forgiveness that he gave us in chapter 45, was that still true? And they ask themselves, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us still? What if he wants to pay us back for all those wrongs? Even though Joseph has already forgiven them, even though he's given them blessings, even though the, the offer of forgiveness wasn't conditional on the father, you know, his father wasn't even there in chapter 45, they thought oh, they couldn't quite trust Joseph's goodness. And so they sent word to Joseph. They made up this story. Before your father died, he said this, you know, ask your brother, you know, make sure that you, are, you forgive your brothers and now please forgive us. And when their message came to Joseph, right, that last two words, Joseph wept. I imagine that he would have been absolutely gutted, distraught. He's like, I've, I've, what are you talking about? I've already forgiven you. How can you, how can you say? I've, you know, I've already forgiven you. I've already, I've already done that. Look at all that I've done. Look at how I've blessed you and graced you. 
How could you possibly not think that this was genuine? It gets made even worse as his brothers then come and throw themselves down and says, we are your slaves. And he must be like, what? You're not my slave. You're my brothers. You're my family. And then Joseph reminds them again, the promise that he gave them in chapter 45, he says again, and he says, don't be afraid. I'm not in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What's that good? It's to uh, see what's all been done, and that's the saving of many lives. This is what it means to live a life with God at the centre. What I find remarkable is that in this chapter, yeah, we don't find a man who's bitter, betrayed, abused, he's been imprisoned, he's, he, he doesn't hate God or hate the world or hate his brothers. Instead, we find someone who, even in the midst of betrayal, abandonment, being forgotten, he's walking closely with God. Even after he'd forgiven his brothers, he wasn't even trusted them by then, and he, yet he forgives them anyway, and again and again, and I think that's amazing. You know, whenever we read a story like this, I think it's always good to put ourselves into the story and to ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I in the story? Who do I embody? If you're anything like me, then you, you would have listened to all the talks over the last few, I don't know, eight weeks we've had, I think, so far, and you would have put yourself as the person you would have been, oh, I'm like Hannah because I dedicate my whole life and my children to the Lord. Or I'm like David because I've got unconditional worship and I've got godly character. Or I'm like Abraham because I follow God into foreign lands and I leave the security and the home comforts and I trust him anyway and, and I explore places and I trust where God is calling me. Or I'm like Daniel and I stand up to the pressures of life in the name of the Lord. Or I'm like Esther and Boaz, Elijah and Thomas, all these different people that we've heard. And you can come to a character like Joseph and you can think, yeah, I've been neglected and betrayed and trodden on and forgotten about, but I've <coughs> risen above it and I'm generous to people and I show grace and love and I'm kind. And I think, though, let's be honest, we are not Joseph in this story. We are the brothers. <coughs> And Joseph and Daniel and Boaz and David, all of these people, all these characters, they're foreshadows of Jesus. They're all foreshadows of Jesus and how Jesus treats us. Let me give you some examples of how Joseph is like Jesus and then I'll give you some examples of how we're like the brothers and then we're going to wrap up and come back to worship. How is Joseph like Jesus? Well, Joseph was favoured by his father. He was given a vision of people worshipping him. And it prompted jealousy and hatred from his brothers who conspired to kill him. Even though Joseph approached them to serve them and bring them food, they want to kill him. Jesus is also loved by God, his father. He, he knows that one day every knee will bow down to him. And it prompts jealousy and hatred from his own people and they conspire to kill him. Even as he has come not to be served, but to serve. Reuben proclaimed Joseph as innocent. He stands up for him, but he's thrown into a pit and then sold for pieces of silver by his older brother, Judah. Pilate proclaimed Jesus innocent, but he was crucified anyway. Jesus was also portrayed for silver, not by a man called Judah, but by its Greek form, Judas. Joseph is in prison and he's sandwiched between two criminals, they both look identical to us, but Joseph prophesies the salvation of the one and the death of the other. On the cross, Jesus is sandwiched between two criminals. One mocks him and dies. The other turns to Jesus in repentance, and Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. 
Following all this, Joseph is exalted to the right hand of the highest authority in the land and he's made ruler of all the kingdom. The result is the blessing of the whole surrounding region. All the nations who are hungry come to Egypt. It's not just Egypt that are satisfied, but all the nations around and Joseph is the only one that can provide a food that satisfies. Jesus, on being raised from the dead, is exalted to the right hand of the Father and he has authority over everything. The result is that whoever comes to him can know a far greater and more satisfying life. And that's a relationship with Jesus. And he's known as the bread of life. As we read um, Joseph's response to betrayal, pain and abandonment, it was about, it was, his response was love and grace. And he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And as Jesus was crucified, as he looked on the betrayal, the pain and the abandonment of his disciples and the ones killing him, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus knows that what they intended for evil, God intended for good. In Joseph's story, he says that the specific good is the saving of many lives. Not just the Egyptians, not the one nation, not the one people group, not the one type of people, but everyone. And Jesus' death is all about the saving of many lives. That's why John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, that's everyone, that whoever, that's anyone, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's the saving of many lives. Can you see how they're parallels? They're foreshadows of what Jesus is going to come and do for us. And so if Joseph is like Jesus, then we are certainly like the brothers. Let me show you how. The brothers hated what Joseph had to say, and it dented their pride. It gave them a different perspective on their lives. Here, Joseph was saying that they were going to bow down to him, and they're like, no, I'm my own man, Joseph. I will do what I want. I'm not bowing down to anyone. I am my own God. And we can often dislike what Jesus has to say. We can ignore anything that doesn't seem to agree with our lifestyle or inconvenience us. We are our own gods. We are full of our own pride. And we will do what we like with our lives. And many of us might not say it like that. But when the rubber hits the road, when living for Jesus means saying no to some of the desires of this world, I tell you, our feelings in that situation can change drastically. The brothers took the matters into their own hands. Not liking what Joseph had to say, they decided that they would sort out the issue themselves. You know, we too can take our lives into our own hands. Uh, Things can happen in life and we can do what we like and we want to do it our way. And often it can mean ignoring God, squashing him out and leaving him in a ditch somewhere. We come up with our own solutions. Ultimately, the brothers needed Joseph for their basic needs. They needed him for their sustenance. And this meant going to where Joseph was. It meant repenting. It meant coming before him and repenting. You know, we come to Jesus too and we need to repent. It means turning from our own lifestyle, our own way of doing things, our own solutions in in our own place where we're living and coming to Jesus and turning to him. And you know what? When we do that, he is faithful to, to forgive. He's faithful to us and he will forgive us. The brothers were given way more than they expected. They were given an abundance and they were blessed with land and food. And it wasn't just for them, but it was for their whole family and, and everyone was affected. And Jesus, he doesn't hold back on us either, but he graciously gives us all things. When we come and repent, he doesn't just give us forgiveness, but he then fills us with his Holy Spirit. And in Romans um, chapter five, it says this, 
you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were far off, cast adrift, destitute and hungry, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still away, whilst we still had no hope of our own, Christ died for us. But since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more, like the abundance, how much more shall we be then saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having had this reconciliation, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this relationship, this restored relationship. Phil brought this word as we were doing the offering. He says, you know, Jesus has brought peace between man and God. And because he's brought this peace between man and God by dying on the cross and putting our trust in him, we can also bring peace between each other. So that's what Joseph's life was about. He knew his identity in God. He had peace with God. He knew forgiveness from God. He knew his identity in God. And because of that, he was able to forgive his brothers and have peace with them. You know, it cost them nothing apart from maybe their pride. All they had to do was to return to Joseph. And in the same way, all we need to do is return to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't hold on to the things that we've... He doesn't doesn't hold it against us. You know, my parents didn't hold that ice cream fiasco against us. And neither does God. He doesn't hold these things against you. And they might have said, well, what if he does? What if he holds this grudge? Well, do you know what? He doesn't. We can all do this. I mentioned that silly example of my parents earlier, but I had, I've got another one. When I was a teenager, I wasn't going with God. I wasn't trusting him. And in fact, I thought that everything about God was boring, irrelevant. It was untrue. And as such, I lived life how I liked. I did it my way, my, you know, because I was full of pride and probably still am most of the time. Um, and I was doing it my way, and I was because this is this is how I'm going to do it. And I would hang out with my mates, and we would binge drink from 14. We were having house parties and all that goes with it from 15. And I was driving around in a stolen car at 16. And I ended up getting nicked, and suddenly it dawned on me, man, my dad is going to kill me. My dad, uh, he's he's not alive anymore, but he was this black African father. And for him, actions speak louder than words. I knew I wasn't going to get a telling off. I was going to get a proper beat down. Uh, that's what I knew was coming. That's what I was expecting. That was my experience. And so when I was arrested, I just remember sitting in that jail cell. I was there for 13 hours, and I couldn't sleep at all. And um, during that night, uh, I remember thinking... Uh, it was actually really the first night I put my trust in Jesus, um, I mean, I guess I thought I was going to be seeing him soon anyway, so, you know, (laughs) I needed to. But um, I'd been doing, like, an alpha course and learning more about God, and I'd I'd put my trust in him for, you know, I just knew that living for myself wasn't the right way to go anymore, so I was going to put my trust in him. But I still had this impending doom that was going to happen upon my release. And I remember uh, coming out of the jail cell in the morning and seeing my parents from a distance coming towards me. And um, I just kind of hung my head in shame and just kind of waiting the backhand that was going to come. And I remember just kind of getting this massive hug. And, uh, are you all right, son? You must be tired. Let's go home. And got in the car, went home, 
They gave me some food, put me to bed. And that was it. It was never spoken about again. Never brought up against me. Never, never in an argument or in frustration or anything did my parents ever say to me, oh, well, you did this or you did that. It was never, ever held against me. It was just absolutely outrageous. And it was probably the kind of one of those moments where I kind of felt God, like a demonstration of God's grace and God's forgiveness for real in my life. And I guess I've never, ever forgetten, forgotten that throughout all the ages. And it's possible for me to have asked, well, what if he still holds a grudge? What, what, if, what if the reason I can't do this is because he holds a grudge? And, you know, we can do that. And what happens is that can cripple our relationship with each other. But it also can cripple our relationship with God. If we hold on to things, sins that we've committed in the past that we've already repented about, but then still look through the future and through all the things that we're now doing with God and think, well, maybe God hasn't really forgiven me for that. Maybe he hasn't really let go of that thing. Maybe the reason why I'm going through this hardship now is because God is punishing me for that thing that I was doing. Do you know what? That will cripple your relationship with God. And it's just not true. Sometimes God says no, but that's for our own good. Not because he is harbouring some kind of vengeance against us. And the brothers thought this, but it was never counted against them. And all it required was returning to, Jesus, uh, to Joseph. And when they did return to Joseph, they were forgiven. And when they messed up, Joseph never sent them back to Canaan. We know that because we know that they end up in Egypt. And when, I, that's why I imagine that when they came and bowed down to him, he says, we are your slave. Joseph must have wept, like wept. So it tells us. He must have been distraught. And, you know, we can do that. And when we come before God and we say to him, God, I'm sorry, I'll be your slave, I will do better. I don't think that's the response that God wants from us. I don't think he wants you to keep harbouring on about that thing. It's like, no, I've dealt with that. I've separated that sin from you, far as east is from west. Now live in the light of that goodness. Now live as a forgiven, chosen son of God, child of God, daughter of God. And trust that my forgiveness for you is complete. It's done. It's finished. You are eternally forgiven when you come and repent before God. Jesus' forgiveness to you is final. And when you trust him and you say, I'm sorry, well, his forgiveness is complete. It's done. It is eternal. When you mess up, you are not thrown out of his plans. You're not thrown uh, away from him. No, you need to know that the Holy Spirit actually wants to engage in you and equip you and... um, build you up and inspire you to carry on to live a life that is pleasing to him it's why when the brothers made up the story about the forgiveness this is i believe that joseph was like he would have restored them and, and encouraged them to no come on this this forgiveness to you it's done it's dealt with yeah you might have intended it for evil but god intended it for good and now look what's happening the saving of all these lives you know i bet the brother's natural response from this was to never betray or deceive him again or to lie to him I bet for the rest of their lives, they went and told their children and their children's children about all that had happened. And we know they did because 4,000 years later, we're still reading about the story now. People knew about it and heard about what had happened. And we too are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to tell our friends, our family, of all the goodness, all the things that have happened to our lives. If you know, you, you might not have known this goodness yet. You know, I'll give you an opportunity to know that today. But if you do, then it should inspire you to think, oh, this is amazing. All that Jesus has done in my life to forgive me is unbelievable. And you can only do that once you've received it. And when we understand what Jesus has done, 
for us, our natural reaction is to want to live for him, to love him, to talk about him, to know that we are his children, and because we have been forgiven, to then go and forgive others. So today, I want you to know that there's forgiveness of sin to be received in Jesus. You can know his peace that we were talking about earlier by his Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus wants to set people free today from guilt and shame. Where you've sinned against God, you need to know that when, if you come before him and repent, that that is enough. That he is faithful to you and he'll forgive you. Because he is forever faithful and he's perfect in love. And as well as receiving that forgiveness, I want to encourage you um, that I believe that God will then also be calling us as a church to then also, from what we have received, to then forgive. There might be people in your life you just need to forgive and you need to um, have peace again with. I believe that God is calling us to do that. In the Lord's Prayer, we, we, that's what we pray. Father, forgive us as you forgive those who trespass against us. It's like a two-way thing. The result of being forgiven is that we forgive and we, work, we have peace with one another. You can't do one without the other. Because Joseph knew who his identity in God, because of that, because he was forgiven, he was able to go and go and forgive. Let's get the band back up. Um, so Joseph is inspiring to me because he reminds me of Jesus and all that Jesus has done for us. Because of all that Jesus has done, this gives me courage, encouragement and boldness to live a life like Joseph. And he was a man who knew who, was, who he was in God's sight and he followed him and trusted him. And I want to be the same. Knowing that it won't always be easy, but he'll always be with me and he'll be with you. And so I want to encourage you, like Joseph kept Jesus at the centre of his life in everything, I want to encourage you to do the same. In all circumstances, trust in him because he is more committed to your long-term joy, happiness, flourishing than even yourself. And so we can do that by receiving his forgiveness and also by forgiving others. You can do the two at the same time. Live in the light of all the forgiveness that he's given you. So there's two ways I kind of want to respond, to be and to do. So the one to be, I want to encourage you to be a child of God. If you don't know him yet, then you can put your trust in him. It means ABC, admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus paid the price for your sin and then committing to him. And if you have already put your trust in him, then believe it. Be a child of God. Know your identity in him. You, you can keep playing, it's good. I asked that question at the beginning, what have you done that's too big for God to forgive? Whatever it is, that's, it's not too big. Yep, even that thing that you are thinking right now, it's not too big for God to forgive. Because he loves you. You're made in his image and you can know his forgiveness. He sent his son to die for you. How much more does he want to now live in your life and know you? So be, be all that God has called you to be. And then the second thing is to do. I want to encourage you to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the way that Joseph did that is that he knew his identity in him. He knew that he was forgiven his sins. He was secure in that. And that was a key to enabling him to live a life pleasing to God. In the autumn term, we're going to be running a course called Freedom in Christ. And this is a discipleship course which will help us to grow into the person that God has intended us to be. 
We're going to be running that course. We're going to aim to run it several times a year. The first one's in autumn. And um, I believe that every single Christian should do it at some point. Every single one. Whether you've been a Christian for many years or just for a few months. And if you're thinking, well, this isn't for me, but you've missed it. This is exactly for you. And it will give you tools to live like Joseph lived. It gives you tools to live in a place where you're at peace with God and peace with other people. Live a life following Jesus and putting him at the centre. It starts on the 24th of September. It's a Tuesday evening and it runs for eight Tuesday evenings. That's one way to do. So to be and to do. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to worship and then we're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going to worship. So why don't you pray with me? Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this inspired series. Lord God, this series where we've looked at all these different characters throughout the Bible. And I thank you, Lord God, that right from the beginning of the book, we see this foreshadow of Jesus in this person of Joseph. I thank you, Lord God, that the way in which Joseph treated his brothers, the way that he served wherever he was, the way that he dealt with betrayal and pain and abandonment, Jesus, it's is all that you did. <laughs> and I thank you, Lord God, that you did it all for us, for the saving of our lives, for our freedom, for our long-term life and flourishing fulfillment in you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that today as we come before you, as we hear again of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy that is never-ending, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that doesn't hold grudges against us, as we know that our identity in you can be as children who are forgiven and set free, as those who are equipped and in encouraged and to, to thrive and to live for you. Lord, I pray, would you help us to live in the light of that? Help us, Lord God, to be children of God, to know that in our lives and to just portray that in every single way we possibly can. Pray, help us, Lord God, to live at peace with you, but also peace with each other. Thank you for this example, Lord God, of forgiveness that Joseph gave to his brothers. Help us to do the same, I pray. Lord, we worship you and we love you. And we pray, Lord God, as we sing to you, Lord, would you receive our praise as your adoration? Would you continue to speak to us? Would you fill us with your spirit and equip us, Lord God, so we can live a life pleasing to you, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.